first time I ever heard that song that we just finished up with. And she gets to the line, uh, the person that I was listening to sing it, sung, that's when she got to the line that said, I have lived in the goodness of God. I just wept because that is how I see my life. And I have lived in God's goodness. I am alive because of his goodness. I can see certain parts of my life where I say, life could have been taken from me there if not for his goodness. And I I share not all of the knowledge that God has of my recklessness and sin, but I share some of it in things that I know that I have done and ways that I lived, especially when I was younger, that nothing about my life and what I'm doing now and what I have the opportunity to serve and do makes any logical sense other than God's goodness. That I live in that, I serve in that. And indeed, he pursues us from his goodness. And so I hope that you can see your life that way. That even in the difficulties that may be there, you live in his goodness. And no matter what you have done, that he pursues you in his goodness. He's not a respecter of persons. Those who would give themselves to him, he will honor. And I pray you will think about that today as we contemplate God's goodness, which is the attribute that we were obviously focused on this morning. I mentioned to you last week that in this series that uh, we have been looking at what theologians would call the incommunicable attributes of God. Several weeks we have looked at things that are attributes that belong only to God. He doesn't share with his creatures. His supremacy, his eternity, his uh, sovereignty, his immutability or his unchanging nature. These are things that God doesn't share with us. He is unlike us in those things. But there's also communicable attributes. God is holy. There's a sense in which Even in his perfection, in his set-apart nature, he shares his holiness with his people. God has all knowledge. He has complete and perfect knowledge of all things. As we've talked about, he even knows what we're going to say before we say it. But he will, in a sense, share his knowledge with us, knowledge about him and about the world. So there are certain attributes that God will communicate to his people. He will share them with us, and some of those attributes He intends for us to share with others. And most of the rest of the attributes that we'll look at in this series are going to be those attributes, communicable ones, ones that we want to walk in and live in so that we could share them with others. And we're starting today with the goodness of God, that He is perfect in goodness. If I were to say to you, some of you perhaps, the statement and you were bold enough to respond in the manner that we've been trained to respond, if I was to say to you, God is good, you might say to me back, all the time. 
God is good. So I want to challenge something for just a moment. Number one, do you believe that? Or is it a catchphrase? Number two, when you say God is good, what do you mean by that? I want to start with this life truth in your worship guide. If you are a note taker and want to fill in those blanks, let's start with this definition of what the goodness of God is. The goodness of God means that God is the final standard of good and that all God is and does is worthy of approval. The goodness of God means God is the final standard of good and that all God is and all God does is worthy of approval. That definition is not my own. It is a theologian Wayne Grudem. I liked it so much I didn't think I could improve on it, and so I'm just giving you his definition. And I kind of want to walk through it just a little bit. When we say that God is the final standard of good, that is critical for our lives. It's a critical statement. It is affirmed by Jesus in the New Testament in John chapter, excuse me, in Luke chapter 18, verse 19 where Jesus said, no one is good except God alone. He was talking to someone, they called him good. He said, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. Jesus was saying, if you're not ready to call me God, don't call me good. Because there is no one good except for God. If a creature, which we are, if a creature is good, it is an added quality. It is something that we learn or is added to our being. God, that is not true of Him. Goodness is not a quality that is added to Him. Goodness is who He is. It is part of His nature. He is eternally, perfectly, in an unchanging way, good. When you and I point to something and we say, that's good, what we typically mean is, that has my approval. I approve of that. That's what we mean when we say that is good. And among men, we often disagree on what is good. We may point at something and say, that is good, and someone else comes along and says, that is not good. Some lighthearted examples would be your favorite sports team. If you have a favorite sports team, and your friend has a favorite sports team that's different, and they play one another, the outcome of that game, one of you is going to say, that was good. The other one's going to say, that was the opposite of good. That was bad, very bad. Food, right? How many of you have had an experience where someone says, you have got to go to this restaurant and get this food, and you go there, and you're like, I don't understand what the big deal was. This is not good. Ray texted me a couple of weeks ago, and you know, they're still, they've moved back from North Alabama, and so they're still kind of figuring out some of the restaurants in the area. And he was like, hey, Chinese restaurant A or Chinese restaurant B, which one should I choose? And no, Kevin, it wasn't either one of your favorites. So anyway, Chinese A or B, which one do I choose? And in my mind, I was like, man, I kind of not want to answer this because I'm going to tell him one. He's going to go there. It's not going to be good. And then he's never going to ask me anything again. He's going to leave the church. This is just going to go really, this is just going to go really bad. Because I get nervous when I think something's really good. And then someone's like, I want to go there and try that. I'm like, oh man, 
What if they don't think it's good? Because most of the time when we point at things and we say that is good, it is based on our preference and whether or not that thing is pleasing to us. Okay, so church, when the Bible says God is good, that is not what it means. When the Bible says God is good, it is not a matter of preference. It's not a matter of whether He is or is doing something that you approve of. The Bible is saying He is the standard of good. Whatever He is, whatever He does, it is worthy of the approval of His creatures. And so that's where I want to go back to that challenge that I said earlier. When you and I say, God is good, what do we mean? Do we say that only when God does something that meets our preference? Do we mean that when we see some character attribute of God that we approve of? In our definition that God, the goodness of God, means He is the final standard of good, what we are saying there is that we are not to judge God because He is something or does something that we prefer. What we are saying is that we should approve all of who God is and all of what God does because He is good. And by that, He becomes the standard. So He's our test. How do you know if something is good? Well, does it align itself with God? If it does, then it's good. If it is opposed to God, it is not good. How do we know if actions are good? Do we see God doing these things? If so, it is good. If it is opposed to what God does, it is not good. He becomes the standard. And that's what the psalmist says, psalmist 119, Psalm 119, 68. You are good and do good, so teach me. That is the life of a believer. God, you alone are good. Everything you do is good, so teach me to be like you and do the things you do. Then I can be good as you are. That's the heart of a Christ follower. In the psalm that Lamar read a moment ago, Psalm 145, just in the first seven verses, it is obvious a psalm of worship. So David starts out, I exalt you, my God, the King. I bless your name forever and ever. I will bless you every day. I will praise your name forever and ever. Now, I want you to look in these next few verses for two things where David mentions who God is and he mentions what God does. He says, the Lord is great. That is who God is. And he is highly praised. His greatness is unsearchable. Verse 4, one generation will declare your works the things God does, to the next generation and will proclaim your mighty acts. Verse 5, I will speak of your splendor, again, who God is, and your glorious majesty. And 
your wondrous works. Again, what God does. Look at verse 6. They will proclaim, he's talking about one generation, they will proclaim the power of your awe-inspiring acts, and I will declare your greatness, and they will give a testimony of your great goodness. So the picture here is that God is worthy of worship. All that He is, is good. All that He does, is good. And when one generation, when older and younger are getting together and they are sharing who God is and what God does, David says, this sharing of who God is and what God does is a testimony of His goodness. Because God's goodness... It's all about who He is and what He does. And again, that may or may not meet our approval. If you had a copy of the Word, if you have a copy of the Word and you're in Psalm 145, verse 8, the very next verse, David says, The Lord is gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and great in faithful love. Now, you may read that verse and you may say, yes. Thank goodness God is gracious. Thank goodness He is compassionate. Thank goodness He is slow to anger. Until that verse is applied to your enemy. What if the person that you hate and the person that has hurt you and the person that you oppose, what if you then learn that God is gracious to them? What if you learn He's compassionate to them? What if you learn that He is slow to anger? Would you then say, yes, God is good? Or go on in Psalm 145 to verse 20. The Lord guards all those who love Him, but He destroys the wicked. Again, that might have your approval. Thank goodness God destroys evildoers. Or you may look at that and say, I'm not going to praise God for judging people. My God would not send people to hell. My God would not judge the wicked. What do we mean by that? We mean that we have created a God that we approve of. Rather than approving of God in His goodness. That He judges the wicked. And he's slow to anger and has great compassion. So when we say God is good, he's our standard. It's not just that he is good when we approve of what he does or who he is. It must be that we approve of all that God does. And we approve of who he is because he is the standard of goodness that we are called to. And we're not just called to God, but we are to share in this goodness. We are to receive it and live in it, like I mentioned a moment ago, but we are also to share it with others. Only God is good. Let me ask you this question. Do you want to be good? Do you want to live a good life? Do you want to be a good person? If the answer is yes, here's the key. Become more like who God is and do more of what God does. That's how you become a good person, and that is how you do good things. 
You become more like the one who is good, the only one who is good. So how do you and I do this? How do we become more like Him? How do we do more of what He does? In your notes, I want to take us through a small journey here of how we share in God's goodness. Number one, to begin with, if we want to be good people and we want to share in this goodness that belongs to God, first and foremost, we must receive the gift of salvation. We must receive the gift of salvation. If you have a Bible this morning, would you go to Galatians chapter 4? And it, take the opportunity to say, as we always do, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, we will gift you one if you will let us know that today. If you are ministering to someone and you would like to give them a copy of God's Word, let us know and we will give you that so you can give it to them. The greatest goodness that you will ever partake in, that you will ever receive, the greatest act of goodwill in your life is the gift of salvation. If you are a Christ follower and you have been saved, that is the greatest good God has ever done for you. It is the greatest good He will ever do for you. That is really, really important, church. Because so many times we become disillusioned with God and where is He in the midst of difficulties where is he in the midst of my trials? God, where are you? Do you still love me? Do you still care about me? Do you still do good to me? If you are a Christ follower, he has done the greatest act of good in your life that he could ever do. He saved your soul. Therefore, he will certainly be there for you and give you all that is good for you in the days ahead because he's already done the greatest thing that he could ever do in saving you. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5, Paul says, when the fullness of time had come, in other words, just the right time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Right, that's a gospel verse. I want to do a better job every week of sharing with you some gospel verse. And there is one. Born under the law means born into a system in which the way that you get to God is by living perfectly. That's what it means. You will be judged by what you do, good or bad. And if you want to get to God and live with God and be godly, you need to be perfect. You need to follow the law. That's what it means to be born under the law. And what the Bible unfolds for us is no one gets to God that way. It's an insufficient method. It is not possible because of sin. So look at what the Bible says God did. When just the right time had come, when all that he had been doing from Genesis chapter 1 all the way through the Old Testament, everything that he was preparing and doing when just the right moment arrived, he sent Jesus. How did he send him? Under the law. He placed his son that belonged to him under the judgment of the law. Why did he do that? So that Jesus 
could then take all of those who were under the law and bring them out of it to be sons and daughters. It's the gospel. Jesus came to live that perfect, obedient life, worship God perfectly, and die the death that belonged to us as criminals and sinners, resurrected from the dead, and looks at everyone and says, believe upon me and I will pull you out from that system where it's all based on you and what you do, and I will place you into the family of God by faith. What happens then? If you have, again, if you're in the Bible, go to Titus chapter 3. Find um, uh, find 1st, 2nd Timothy, and then go to the right. Titus chapter 3. Further description of salvation. Remember, we're thinking about the goodness of God in receiving the gift of salvation. Titus chapter 3, verse 5. God saved us. He saved us. Not by works of righteousness. Okay, pause. That would be under the law. It's not how he saved us. He didn't save us by helping us to do all the right things. God saved us not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy. How did God save us? Not because of what we had done. He saved us on this one thing, based on this one thing, His mercy. What was the cause of your salvation? Not what you had done. The cause of your salvation is the mercy of God. And then Paul goes on to describe that salvation. He did this through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. That is the means by which God brought you to salvation. So that Galatians 4 passage, receive the gift of salvation. Christ came to redeem those under the law and make them sons and daughters. How did that happen? Because of the mercy of God, nothing you had done, the mercy of God, nothing that you had ascribed to in your own mind, been able to bring yourself up to some place to where you're, you're able to, to just see everything on your own. No, the mercy of God. And what was the means that he did? The washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Regeneration means being born again. He literally changes your nature. He takes out your old heart that doesn't desire God and love God, and he gives you a new heart that loves God. He changes who you are. And then, after you've been regenerated, born again, he renews you. Renewal literally means renovation. Josh, if you renovate a house, there's a process of what? Tearing out what is old to put in that which is new. That is my limited understanding of what Josh does. But I don't actually know that he does it, but he has a company that does it. Renovation, right? Terry, years ago, renovated the parsonage that we live in. It's called the Benton House. We did that to honor him. He spent a couple of years tearing out everything that was in that house that was old, placing in that which is new. That's what renewal is. So in your life, when you're born again, God goes through a process of removing what is old, putting in what is new. There's a really 
There's a really there's a buzzword going around right now in Christendom. It's called deconstructing. And I'm not going to talk about the merits of that, good or bad. I'm just going to tell you this. That is what God does when you're saved. It is a process of pulling out what is old and putting in what is new. You can trust God with that. You can trust His Spirit with that. You can trust His Word for that. He will renew you and renovate you. So, call on Jesus. The greatest act of good, His goodness, His goodwill toward you is the gift of salvation. Believe upon Christ. And this work of regeneration and renewal will follow. Now, I want to go a little deeper because we're talking about how do we share in the goodness of God? Well, how does He renew us? The second part of this, we receive the gift of salvation, and then to share in His goodness, we renew our mind by the truth in Christ, which is God's Word. We renew our mind, renew your mind by the truth in Christ, which is God's Word. You're going to say, wait a minute, I thought you just said God did that. He does. The work of renewal is done by the Holy Spirit, but there's a means by which the Spirit does that. And He uses God's Word in our lives to renew our minds. I said to you earlier that when we say that's good, that what we often mean is that meets my approval. I approve of that. And I use these lighter examples of sports teams and food. But there are weightier matters that people in the world disagree on. Issues of morality. Can you not bring any moral issue, place it before a group of people, and some will say, that's good, that's okay. And some will say, no, 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 that's bad, that's evil. The standard is God. He's the one that gets to judge things. And in Romans chapter 1, God says that many people will face His judgment not only because they practice sin, but because they approve of people who practice sin. They will face judgment not just because they do something themselves, but because they look at someone who is sinning and they say, that's okay. That's good. How do you and I get to the place where we don't think that way? We want to think as God thinks. We want to have the mind of Christ. As He is regenerating us and changing who we are, He renovates, He renews our mind. Romans 12, 2 tells us that. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may be able to discern what is good and pleasing and the perfect will of God. How do you get to a place where you can approve what God does, share in His goodness, and disapprove of what is wrong? Your mind must be renewed. All right, so the Holy Spirit does that. We rely on the Spirit. He is renewing our minds, but there's a means by which the Spirit works in our lives, and that is, I believe, very clearly Scripture, God's Word. In Ephesians 4, Paul is talking about people without Jesus. And he says that people without Christ are darkened in their understanding and they are excluded from life in God due to the ignorance that is in them and the hardness of heart. 
And what Paul is saying is, these people who are not in Christ, they give themselves over to the practice of impurity, and they approve of people who are doing those same things because they lack understanding, because they have ignorance in them, and their hearts are hardened, because their minds have not been renewed. So how Christians do we get that renewed mind by the Spirit? Paul goes on in Ephesians 4 to say, you were taught by Christ. The truth is in Jesus. Take off your former way of life, the old self, that is corrupted by deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds to put on the new self, the one created after God's likeness. When the truth of Jesus and about Jesus comes into your life, it changes the way you think, it renews your mind, and then your actions follow. You take off the old way of life, you put on the new way of life because you're thinking differently. I went up to my mom's house this week. I'm trying to slowly clean out things and go through her, go through her stuff and figure out what I'm keeping and what I'm not. And I came across all of her, her nightgowns the things that I would wash every week and, you know, help her get into when I would go up there to see about her. And, and some of them I knew, like, what her, fav- her favorites were that she always wanted. And so when I saw those, I just had this moment of grief, like sadness, because there's these gowns and she's not here to wear them. The thought that immediately followed that was, she doesn't need those anymore. That's sad to you, but that's not to her. She doesn't need them. Even on earth, though, our life in Christ is just like that. We don't need those old garments. We don't need the old way of life. We don't need to practice it, and we don't need to approve of it. We need the new. And the only way we will agree with that is the renewal of our minds, which comes, Paul says in Ephesians 4, by learning truth that is in Jesus. Jesus affirmed that every bit of this Bible was about him. He said, this is, this is all about me. All the Old Testament, it pointed to me. All of the New Testament is from Christ. This is the truth about Jesus and in Jesus. This is the truth about Christ that sets you free. This is not God, but this is the Word of God that leads us to know about Christ. So much so that when the Bible talks about Jesus, it says He is the Word of God that became flesh. So my premise to you today is to share in the goodness of God, you need to receive the gift of salvation, and you need to go about the process of having your mind renewed so that you can learn who God is and what God does, and you can approve of those things and even begin to live yourself that way. 
But you need the mind of Christ for that to happen, and it will come through God's Word, the power of His Spirit working through His Word. So, if you're in the Word a little, you will have a little of the mind of Christ. If you are in the Word a great amount, you'll have a greater amount of the mind of Christ. That's my what I place before you today. Don't just go to the Word as a religious exercise and routine because you know it's good. Go to the Word to gain more of Jesus, to love more of Jesus and to know more about Jesus and to have more of His mind and being renewed in your life so that you can live as He would have you live. And then, then, when that happens, now, in your notes, you can really begin to share in His goodness by looking for and enjoying it wherever you see it. You can look for and enjoy His goodness. And what I'm saying to you is I don't think you can truly enjoy the goodness of God in this world until you have received His salvation and had your mind renewed and starting that process of renewal. I'm going to run out of time, but I just want you to think for a moment about all the natural pleasures God has given you. God could have said, I'm going to create them and I'm going to make them need food. And then I'm just going to give them something to eat to keep them alive. He didn't do that though. He made food that would be pleasing to us. He made, he made taste buds that tell you, I enjoy that food or I don't. And then think about everything in creation. He made flowers have a good smell to them. He made the sun rise and the sunset be pleasing to our eyes. He made a cool breeze across your face, cause your heart to leap. Or the warm sun beating down on you to cause you to have joy. His goodness is all over His creation. He has made it where you can enjoy it. Enjoy taking it in with all of your senses. He has made things pleasurable for us. It was not by accident. He did that in His goodness. But you and I can really only enjoy that to its fullest when we have received His gift of salvation and we are looking for His goodness. Psalm 145, 16 says, God opens His hand and satisfies the desire of every living thing. In a sense, right now, God is satisfying gratifying the lives of every creature, even those people who hate Him. But their enjoyment of His goodness will only be in this life if they don't come to know Christ, and it will still be limited. Because it's Psalm 84.11 that says, No good thing does God withhold from those who walk uprightly. There's a sense in which the greatest experience of His goodness only comes to you when you can look for it by the gift of salvation and the renewal of your mind. Do you, do you not think it is often true that you and I lack praise for the goodness of God because we don't stop and look for it? We're so busy to get to the next thing that we scarf our food down. We're so busy to get to the next thing that we don't get up early and watch the sunrise or go outside and watch it set. 
We don't take time to rest. We don't take time to get out in nature and just enjoy the gifts of God. We don't take time to sit down and converse with one another. We don't take time to do that because we're so busy trying to get to the next thing. Or even if we're not busy getting to the next thing, we're so apathetic in what we are doing that we just don't intentionally enjoy what God has given us to enjoy. So we lack worship. We need to stop and look for the goodness of God in all of His people and creation and then praise Him for it. Post your sunset pictures, amen, but don't fail to praise God in the midst of it. So we share in His goodness, we receive the gift of salvation, we renew our mind by the Word, we look for and enjoy His goodness, and then finally, we share in His goodness by imitating our Father. Now that God is our Father and we've been adopted as sons and daughters, we imitate Him. This is what Jesus did. John 5, 19. Jesus said something very odd. The Son can do nothing of His own accord, but He can only do what He sees His Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. Josh actually mentioned this verse Friday night at our small group, and we talked about it briefly. We don't know exactly what that means. Josh mentioned maybe it means Jesus just in the times that he was spending with his father, that the father was telling him, this is what we're going to do, this is what you're going to do. Maybe it means that Jesus could providentially see all that God was doing in the world that other people could not see. But the simple statement is, the son only did what he saw the father do. If that is true for Jesus, must, not, must that not be true of us? That as we take in God's Word and we renew our minds and we see what God is doing in His Scriptures, we see who God is and we see what He does, that we must seek to do the same thing. If you want to be a good person, you seek to be like God. If you want to do good things, you seek to be like God. And that in part means, in your notes, be kind and have compassion to all. I could, I could sit here for a long time and talk about all, I mean, not just a long time, eternity. We could just go on and on and on for hours and hours about all that God does and is that is good. But the one I want to point out to you is the one that was pointed out in Psalm 145 this morning. If you want to be like your Father, be kind and compassionate to all. It's what it says, Psalm 145, verse 9, the Lord is good to everyone. And his compassion rests on all that he has made. Church, it is the goodness of God that disposes him to be kind to people, tenderhearted to them. It is the goodness of God that disposes him to be compassionate, filled with sympathy toward all people. And it's very easy for you and I to say, I want to be good to the people who are good to me. And the people who are evil to me, I'm not going to be good to them. But in the New Testament, it says, well, if that's how you live, you're like the Gentiles, because they do that. God, however, is kind to all and compassionate to all. No one receives the goodness of God because they earned it. That includes you and I. 
Remember Galatians 4. Remember Titus 3. We're not receiving God's goodness because of our works. If God has been good to you, and He has, it was not because you earned it. So to be like God, be kind to people. Show compassion. That doesn't mean you approve of what they are doing if it's sinful, but you can still be kind and compassionate even as you disapprove of someone's actions. And it is to all people. Galatians 6.10 makes this very clear. As we have the opportunity, do good to everyone, especially to those in the household of faith. Some of us, our mindset would be, I want to be really good to other Christians. I want to be really good to the people in my church. I'm not going to be kind to those outside of that or outside of the faith. Some of us, honestly, would have the exact opposite. I want to be kind and compassionate to people outside the church, but you know what? People in the church, I really struggle with them. Be kind to all, especially one another. Especially in this community of faith, be kind to each other. Be compassionate to one another and to everyone outside of this community and outside of this church. And as you are doing that, you are being like God. You are being as He is and doing the things that He has done. Being kind and good. I ended last week with a Spurgeon quote, so I'm going to end this week with another one. When others behave badly to us, it should only stir us up the more heartily to give thanks unto the Lord because He is good. When we ourselves are conscious that we are far from being good, we should only the more reverently bless Him that He is good. We must never tolerate an instant of unbelief toward the goodness of the Lord. His provision may vary, but His nature is always the same. When people are mean to you and critical and judgmental, immediately thank God that He is good and that you can trust Him. When you realize that you have sinned against others, and you have not been good and kind and compassionate, be thankful that God is and that He will help you be like Him. And when you are going through trials and difficulties, fight hard against every single solitary thought that comes in your mind that God is not good to you. His provision in any moment may vary, but His nature has not changed. He is good. And all the time, He is good. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. I'm going to bring the lights down. We want to respond to God with some more singing and prayer. And I really do hope we will take the time to respond to God in what He has said to us. There will be some prayer partners to my left. If you would like to be prayed for today, or even if you don't really want to but you feel the need to, use them. Come and ask them to pray for you. Or, if you have the inclination to do so, go pray for them.
Follow the Lord and what He's laying on your heart. If you just need to respond to God in worship for all of His goodness in your life, whether it is kneeling to pray where you are up front or just standing to sing, worship God in His goodness. And today, if you have any doubts about your relationship with Christ, if you are not sure that you've received the gift of salvation, if you are struggling in that salvation to have your mind renewed, let someone pray for you about that. If you want to tell me about it before you leave today, I would love to pray with you and we'll talk about it later this week. Just don't leave here with any doubts about your relationship with Christ without telling someone and letting them help you. Father, thank you for your goodness. God, thank you that you are teaching us about yourself, that you are supreme in all the universe, that you are holy, that you are unchanging, that you have all knowledge, that you are sovereign over all that you've created, and that you are good. You are the standard of good in the universe. I pray, God, that as we know more about you, we will love you more. We will honor you more. And God, we will want to be more like you. We will want to be as you are and do what you do. God, I pray you would save us and you would renew us. That you would give us the power of the Spirit to give us the mind of Christ. You would give us discipline to be in the Word, to learn about Jesus. Not just to gain knowledge to puff ourselves up, but to gain the truth about Christ that we might be set free, that we might know, God, more of you and how to live like you. God, make us kind people. Make us compassionate people to one another and to the lost that we may be like our Father. Thank you, God, for bringing us from under the law and in faith adopting us as your sons and daughters. Be with agape. Be with its people, God. Sanctify us in Jesus' name. Amen.